0: Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I am your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and we're welcoming you to week two of the series that we are calling Awaken, which is being preached, a series of messages being preached at Church United churches all over South Florida uh, and in Broward County, where each church uh, preaches on the same passage with the same big idea, although each pastor does their own version of the sermon um, each church is preaching in a unified theme. And this week, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 and the story of Philip the Evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch. Sam, this is a, a story in which there are a number of really miraculous elements. Um when, Whenever somebody holds this up as, here's our picture for evangelism, I'm like, okay, yeah, but the first thing is, you have to have an angelic visitor that comes and tells you <laughs> where to go to meet the guy. And then when the conversation is over, that same angelic, Power the Holy Spirit is gonna like whisk you away magically, like with it. So there are some there are some real miraculous elements to this. Um, but let's that kind does, of
1: that doesn't happen to you?
0: No. Suddenly I feel inadequate. Uh, <laughs> golly, um, yeah.
1: And the whisking away, there's different interpretations of that too. And I'm kind of like I'm in between both of them, like whether or not it's an actual like whisking away, yeah, or if it's just speaking that he left at that moment and. Left, no left, left quickly,
0: you know. Yeah. But but the one thing that is true is that this story begins with an angelic visitor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the first thing that happens. Um, and so that is something that, you know, I know that uh, when I talk about this as an example for evangelism, I, 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 it doesn't happen often, but somebody who's familiar with the story, I've had them say, sure, I'll be happy to go out there and share the gospel just as soon as an angel from the Lord shows up and says, <laughs> go talk to that guy over there. Um, So, let's start with that at the beginning of this in Acts chapter 8, and let's start with what's going on with Philip. By by the way, I did note this in uh, personal worship this week uh, because you reminded me of this in a conversation we were having on the podcast a couple weeks ago. This is not Philip the Apostle. Mm Mm-hmm this is a guy Philip the evangelist who was one of like seven guys that was named to be in charge of some kind of council of church of Jerusalem but this was a guy who came along later it wasn't his was, guy wasn't a, a disciple and an apostle
1: correct so yeah you always you immediately think it's going to be Philip the apostle but it's like you said it's it's an evangelist totally separate guy so one of the things that that invites us to do is to recognize that you know it, it's not that this was reserved for the apostles you know that the church was actively growing outside of the outside of the apostles this is just an ordinary guy who's got a passion and a gifting for evangelism
0: yeah yeah and earlier in chapter 8 uh it describes his ministry i think i'm gonna, i'm gonna say was among the Samaritans, wasn't it? Like yeah. He was in with the mm-hmm. Samaritans. It's like it talks about there being uh, miracles that were occurring you know, mm-hmm. in part of his ministry and that it says that multitudes were coming to the Lord. So this guy was a really powerful evangelist that had a very, very successful ministry.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he is the Billy Graham of the early church. Like, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's true. You know,
1: so, so he's the first one who goes out and holds a crusade and revival is burning in Samaria. I mean, it's red Hot in Samaria, and then you have the angel—not the angel, an angel of right. the Lord—who comes to Philip and says, "Okay, now leave all that,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> and well, go down south where there's pretty much no one."
0: And that's an um, interesting—that's an interesting thing because it does start with that in verse 26 of chapter 8, where it says, "Now an angel of the Lord," and we we're stressing an angel of the Lord because when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, we generally agree that that is a. Uh, that's Jesus. That mm-hmm. was a pre-incarnate visitation from Jesus.
1: Yeah, Christophany.
0: Yes. So this is an angel of the Lord, which would still, by the way, be an impressive thing. If I had an angelic visitor, <laughs> I would be a little bit afraid. It would be a, yeah. an intimidating thing.
1: Yeah, Philip's not asking to see the manager here.
0: Exactly. So <laughs> now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that, lead, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then there's an editorial comment here. This is a desert place. (laughs) And then it says, and he rose and went. So, you know, the first thing that struck me about that is that – there was a – I mean, obviously, Philip's not going to uh, question necessarily an angelic visitor from the Lord. But Philip didn't – they didn't – Angel didn't tell him why. He just said, yeah. get up and go to the south. And Philip's like, okay, I'm out of here, packing a bag, going Which right is now. Why,
1: this would have been really hard to do. For somebody who, who's in ministry and who wants to see, you know, fruitfulness and revival come, like Philip has every evangelist dream. Like people are coming to faith in droves up in Samaria and it's like you know it would be like the lord if you know revival is hitting at rio and we can't keep the people away and we have parking problems and everybody's coming down front to to give their lives to jesus and you know repenting and weeping over their sins and marriages are being restored and everything is going beautifully And an angel comes and says, all right, now I want you to pick up and I want you to go do ministry in the middle of the Everglades. Yeah. You know, and it's like, (laughs) no, I don't want to go to the Everglades. This is where it's happening. Um, And yet the Lord has his reasons, which are – Really amazing. I love this story.
0: Well, and it it is, uh, as he goes down there, verse 27 says, he encounters somebody and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So a couple of things there that occurred to me right off the bat as I was reading it is, first of all, he's a eunuch. Um, people may not be familiar with that term. Shall we tell them what a eunuch is?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those when you're a middle school teacher, you're like, "Uh," but we'll just go ahead and say it. A eunuch is somebody who has been castrated. They're, they can't have children. And so background on why that used to happen. Uh Back in the ancient world, the king and queen would surround themselves with people that they wanted to absolutely ensure would be loyal to them. And so parents sometimes would come and give their children to be raised up as eunuchs or some people would be you know, grafted into a kingdom and made eunuchs. And the idea was before you reach the age of adulthood, they would make it so that you could not have children. And so before you go through puberty, you became a eunuch, which means you never grew facial hair, your voice never dropped, but you also could never have children. And the idea behind that was if you were going to serve in the court of the king and queen, they wanted to take away any competing loyalties that you have. You know, I'm a, I'm a father of four. So if I work for an employer and I have to choose, you know, who am I going to be loyal to, feeding my family, making sure that my kids have a great future, or serving the king and queen. You know, my loyalties are going to go to my family and so they they would bring people in to these kinds of positions and it was considered an honor to be a eunuch. Some people think Daniel, by the way, when he was brought from Jerusalem to to Babylon was made a eunuch. We don't know that for sure but a lot of people theorize that um, because it would have made you loyal to the court of the king. I mean if that's done to you when you're a child. Can and I you just don't admit have that memory of it? It
0: makes me a little un, that's something that makes me a little uncomfortable today. I mean again, I've got my 21st century sensibilities I guess that are that are going off here, but
1: yeah. uh, if you make me a eunuch, I'm not going to be loyal to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: That's what I'm thinking. Is that but, if you did this to me, I wasn't going to be happy.
1: But we live in a in a culture where success and all of that is is, you know, relatively easy to achieve, let's be honest. In the ancient world, um to be given a role inside the court of a royal house was would have been considered an honor and yet at the same time this eunuch would have recognized that his life was ripped away from him that this was a great injustice and so it's this this fusion of you know you're you're brought in and you're exalted to this high level but the cost has been to take away your hope of a future family and a legacy after you. And so this would have been a tremendous heartache um, to a eunuch, for sure. It also,
0: however, like you're saying, they were people that were trusted. It says here that he was in charge of all her treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been a considerable amount of wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that time, Ethiopia in those days is much, much larger, was much larger than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we think the queen of Sheba came from yep. that came to visit Solomon.
1: Yeah, if you go back in, in that era, the Sheba is like right at the coast of where Ethiopia is and it, it blends in and takes it over the western coast of Arabia. And there were massive gold deposits that came out of that region – um, Solomon, when he imported all of his gold, not not just receiving the gift from the queen of Sheba, but it says that he goes down and actually sent ships down the Red Sea to these locations to bring back massive quantities of gold every year um, when he was king. And it's coming from this region. So it's a very, very wealthy region. And, and why is he able to be trusted with all of this wealth is because he doesn't have anyone to share it with, yeah. I mean, apart from the queen. And it tells us that he, uh, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And so that
0: was the second thing that I noticed because we talked about this when we did our, um, I think it was the podcast on the, on the, the kings where we had the life of Solomon. And we talked about this particular visit and the effect that it had on the Queen of Sheba. And we talked, we asked the question, you know, did she leave as a convert? Um, and we both felt like, certainly could have you know mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily say that she absolutely like started worshiping the god of of Israel but it seemed that she certainly acknowledged the, that 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 he was the true god mm-hmm. and so here you have somebody an, a, an official or a powerful official a very powerful official from Ethiopia who had come mm-hmm. to Jerusalem to worship which would indicate that the that the worship of Jehovah of Yahweh, God of Israel, had taken root in Ethiopia. If they, whether it traveled mm-hmm. back with the Queen of Sheba or not, this was something that has was God had already started a movement down there in those people. Mm-hmm.
1: So if you if you know if you go back into the time of of Jesus and right after Jesus, there were Jewish settlements all over the Roman world and down into Afri- Africa. Uh, Alexandria, which is in northern Africa, was one of the largest Jewish cities. I think they had over a million. Jewish people living in the city of Alexandria at the time, the massive populations of Jews because when the Babylonians came through and destroyed the temple the first time, they took the Jews and deliberately scattered them all over the world so that they would lose their political power. And so you not only have the legacy of the Queen of Sheba who goes back home after Solomon going, that is the true God. You know, God is clearly favoring them and their God right now is more powerful than all other nations because they're the ones growing. That's kind of her attitude but also, in addition to that, after you have the diaspora of Babylon conquering Jerusalem and scattering the Jews all over the world, these Jews go out and they start founding synagogues all through you know, Italy, Greece, Turkey, uh, all to the east and uh, Persia and down into Africa, Egypt, uh, Ethiopia. I mean, Jewish settlements went everywhere, and so that's how he has access to these scrolls. Um, the Jews who left. From the persecution of Babylon scattered everywhere, and then their ancestors were going on carrying on these promises. Eventually, Isaiah is going to come – or Isaiah, they're carrying on the scroll of Isaiah, sorry. Eventually, the Messiah is going to come.
0: So that's what the Ethiopian eunuch, the official, was was reading. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah. Um, And verse 29, it says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot, um the, <laughs> You know, one of the things that people struggle with in the subject of evangelism, when we start talking about the importance of sharing your faith and of sharing the gospel. One of the first things that people are like, I'm afraid to kind of if I just if I knew they were going to be open to it, and and here the Holy Spirit is telling Philip, go talk to that guy, and you know. <laughs> That you have to say there's a certain amount of, of certainty Philip's going to have when the Holy Spirit says go talk to that guy, Philip's going to be thinking okay I'm going to go talk to that guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now here just in your mind's eye is is this an audible thing? Do you imagine the Holy Spirit booming from heaven? Philip, go over and join his chariot, or is this I, a nudging internally? Which I, I, you way do you know, imagine it?
0: Here's the thing, um, I don't I don't know I I have. Um, I'm not one that hears a lot of audible voices. I know. I know. <laughs> I, well, I mean, just say, and we chuckle at that. But I, I know people who are—they're not necessarily, you know, charismatic Pentecostal Christians. They're Reformed Presbyterian types who have said God spoke to me. You know, and 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 I'm like, you heard God's voice. I like I heard these. I heard the words like in my thoughts. Like I knew God was speaking mm-hmm. to me, and so. I don't want to say that it wasn't like actual the Holy Spirit saying to Philip, go over and join this chariot, Um, that it was just a nudging kind of thing, because it produced some fairly dramatic action. It says Philip ran over to him. Let's just pause for a second and say, this guy was not some loner riding on an ox cart. Yeah. (laughs) This was a a powerful, maybe even the most powerful non-member of the royal family from his nation. Mm -hmm. And – This would have been, he was in a chariot, number one, which was a tank of that era. And I'm, I promise you, he was not alone. He had people with him, some protection with him. So Philip was being told, go run over to that tank, ignore all the guards. Don't worry about whether you're going to get run over by those metal wheels or these horses or go to that (laughs) chariot. And he went. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of shifting to the side of Philip heard the Holy Spirit say, Mm-hmm. Maybe not a voice booming from heaven, but no doubt in his mind that the oh, Holy I Spirit – Oh, I totally agree. I mean the, the
1: scriptures same. tell us the Spirit has said it. I mean, yeah. where I'm at is, is it like I heard him speaking to me inaudibly or audibly? I would um, say audibly in this case. Okay. That's, that's – just because it's such a dramatic response that he
0: ran to the chariot.
1: Yeah. And this is somebody – like I love the Lord's urgency for Philip to go down and get this guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and the backstory that that we haven't touched on yet is he would have been facing so many barriers. You got to think he traveled. Well, I don't know how far it would have been from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. I'm going to guess 700 miles, maybe. Yeah. Um, but a long way. This is a long trip. And so he gets there, and I want you to imagine what he experiences. Okay. First off, first century Jerusalem would have been notoriously um very hostile in a lot of ways toward gentiles anybody who was not a jewish person in those days was often called a dog they were seen as less than and so that's already a strike against him because he's an ethiopian which means he's very obviously a gentile he's not going to fake it he's not you know He's got dark skin but even beyond that because he was castrated young, he never went through puberty so he shows up as an unbearded man and he's going to have in all likelihood a higher voice because his voice never dropped and so he shows up there in a culture that defines manhood <laughs> you know, with beards and having lots of children and being very manly and here comes in all likelihood this dark-skinned, effeminate eunuch that shows up in Jerusalem, and it was part of the law. you know. So, so to get to the temple, I mean, there were all these different areas where you could and couldn't go. So you get into the temple complex, and the first place you can come to is the court of the Gentiles, which is as far as a Gentile would have been able to get to the temple. But in the law – eunuchs are not allowed to even go into the temple complex. He would not have even been allowed to come into the court of Gentiles because he was a eunuch. And so having traveled all this way, reading these scrolls, wondering if he's going to be able to draw near to the Lord, he gets to Jerusalem and almost certainly he would have been turned away from even entering into the temple complex, from being allowed to even participate in worship. And so now he's heading home. And he's got to feel dejected. He's got to feel rejected. Um, And he's on his way home. And who knows what would have happened to him. But in the middle of this great revival, the Lord knew that that happened. And the Lord comes to Philip and says, I want you to leave this red-hot revival. I got a mission for you. And he will not allow this Ethiopian eunuch to make it all the way back home without hearing the message that Philip has for him.
0: Yeah. I think it's also worth noting that like you say he he did this 700-mile journey to Jerusalem reading mm-hmm. these scrolls where he encountered this rebuffing, you know, you, you can't come into our temple. He was still reading the scrolls on the way home. Mm-hmm. His desire to know God and to to hear God's words is remarkable. I mean, this is this is somebody who was pursuing God with his whole heart. It's like he wanted to know the truth of these things. He wanted to find this out. And I think that that's something that I've always clung to when we've had these sort of theoretical, you know, hypothetical situations. What about the guy who lives in... And they'll name some place where there's not a lot of Christians. And he, you know, are you saying that he's not going to go to heaven because he never heard the gospel? And I've said repeatedly... Because I believe this is true, and partly because of this story, is that if somebody is earnestly seeking God, God will will get to him. It's mm-hmm. like if if, the, if there's somebody out there, I don't care what country they're in, I don't care what culture they're in, if they're seeking the true God, the true God will reach out to them, will find them in some way. And we know as a fact that today in countries where the church is persecuted for real, not just made fun of like our mm-hmm. countries, but persecuted for real, like, Sam, you're a preacher, that means you have to go get your head cut off today. Something awful happened,
1: and yet that's where
0: the church is growing the fastest.
1: Yeah, and you hear reports of dreams, you know, people coming to faith in dreams and visions, which, you know, to Western mindsets, you know, we're, we're like, really, we're skeptical of that? But it is absolutely accepted and a way of life in a lot of these countries that are dominated with intense persecution of Christians. You hear those stories, and they're not uncommon. Yeah. So the gospel is not going to be
0: thwarted. Um, by the borders of a country. You know, the Lord will reach somebody no matter where they are. Is When he sets his heart on them, he will reach them. So, mm-hmm. so getting back to this story, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, which <laughs> that's the other thing about this, is this guy could read Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I mean he was reading Isaiah the prophet. That wasn't – that would not have been his native language. He had taught himself how to read the language of the Jews, right? They didn't read he- – that wasn't – Hebrew wasn't their language in Ethiopia.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a chance that this could have been Septuagint. Okay, it could, could have been translated. He reading yeah. in Greek in the ancient world and, and that's, that's actually probably more likely. But even still, the fact that he had – because Ethiopia was south of the Roman Empire it would have had influence from the Hellenistic culture, but still this wouldn't have been his native tongue. So he learned Greek and is reading these things, or Hebrew, one or the other. Yeah, that
0: is true. I didn't think about the Septuagint, but you're right. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures made, what, around 400 years before Christ was born? Um, something Centuries, like that. yeah. Yeah. And and it was the Old Testament text for people in that time so you're probably right it probably was a septuagint i'm still it's impressive to me that this guy learned something in order to be able to read isaiah you know Um, (laughs) so philip comes up and asks him a question he says do you understand what you're reading and the eunuch answers in verse 31 he says and he said how can i unless someone guides me and he invited philip to come up and sit with him i think that's Beautiful, because Philip asked a question. He didn't walk up and say – he didn't come in, like, forcefully. It's like he, he asked the guy a question, um, and then the response to the question was an invitation to, let's talk further.
1: Yeah, and and I love – his his response shows that he had been rejected, by the way, in Jerusalem, right? Because he's he's gone there with these scrolls. Yeah, I agree. He's gone there seeking truth, and so here Philip comes along very, you know – kindly saying, do you understand what what it is you're reading? Because you read scrolls out loud they, because this vellum, this parchment or whatever it was written on was so expensive in the ancient world. They didn't put spaces. You go back and you read ancient Hebrew or Greek. They avoided spaces. It makes it really hard to translate because it's just a jumbled sea of letters. And so you would read it out loud and you would hear the words and it would help make sense of it without spacing. And so he, that's the way you read was you read out loud. And so Philip, very awkwardly, comes up next to the chariot and just walks. He's like, "Uh, can I help you? There's a long road here. We're out in the middle of the (laughs) desert and you chose to come up next to my chariot. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And his response when he says, how can I, unless someone guides me, suggests that nobody has been willing to guide him. He came with lots of questions. He came with lots of wounds, lots of pain, and nobody had time for him. Nobody answered any of his questions. And so God sent Philip.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about the um, passage in Romans 10 – As I read that, where Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is Mm -hmm. written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, Philip had some beautiful feet that day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he did. You know, know, there's that old saying, and, and I appreciate the sentiment behind it, but it's it's a and it, it was super popular for a while. Where it said, you know, um, preach the gospel always and use words if you have to. Mm. And and so the idea was, you know, just just live, live out the gospel, and you know, only use words when you have to. And I appreciate the idea of you know living a Christ like life, but nobody's going to understand the gospel message just because you're kind and humble. They might be attracted to whatever it is you have, but you have to open your mouth. Yes, um, it's it's not enough to just walk a Christ-like life. People need to hear the right. gospel,
0: right? So, verse thirty-two tells us uh, now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, which we should recognize because we were just here in our series on Isaiah. Yeah, we didn't plan this, by the way. <laughs> no, no, this is just how it this is how it has happened. The Holy Spirit's in control. <laughs> like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So it's Isaiah 53, the prophecy of Christ. And that's something that... um, You know, when we talk about Isaiah 53, people who are of a Jewish background will tell you this is David or this is the nation Israel is the Mm -hmm. suffering servant, um, that kind of thing. So there have been debates or conversations, especially amongst these people. It's like, who is chapter 53 talking about? Who's Isaiah 53 referring to? Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't unusual is what I'm saying that the eunuch was like, who is he talking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, this this was a debate back then. Um, you know he doesn't. He doesn't have Jesus in mind. You got to remember this is right, right immediately in the aftermath of Jesus's life, um, and so word hasn't spread all over the place. There's not a lot of questions down in Ethiopia just yet. Um, but i love i love what he points out like of all the things in isaiah 53 that you could pause on you I mean it talks about by his stripes we are healed and you know our chastisements put upon him and we have peace with god and i mean it it lays out the gospel really beautifully in isaiah chapter 53 but this is the one that he he's fixed on like this is this is the one that he's reading when he has a question he's like oh let me go back this is what i want to know who is this? Because he's, you got to imagine he's read Isaiah. He's read about this Savior. He's read about this coming King, and then you get to Isaiah fifty three, and you find out that this magnificent King that's coming from God to make all things right between God and man undergoes this. You know, he he's taken to the slaughter and doesn't defend himself, and and humiliation. Justice is denied him, and he has no generations that come after him and his life is taken away from the earth and and the you got to imagine what the eunuch is thinking here because that's kind of his story you know he yeah, before yeah, he true. had a choice was taken and castrated and given a life that he didn't ask for and in humiliation justice was denied to him who can describe his generation he's never going to have kids he doesn't have a legacy and this eunuch is looking going like i this is the king this is the savior he's like me and he's huh. recognizing that the savior of the world can relate to him like just think how amazingly precious that is how kind that is of god and he's we should be in awe that this is our savior because this unit can't imagine it it's it's mind-boggling who could this possibly be
0: yeah and i also like where verse thirty five tells us that when Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's something that um you know it's important for us as believers to to know the word, mm-hmm. to be able to to share from the word of God. Um it's great that you may have a lifestyle that, you know, hi diddly ho neighbor, you're like a great neighbor <laughs> here like a you neighbor, know, whatever. You're Ned Flanders. That's it. there you go. So you have that, you know, it's like, oh, they're nice people. I really like having them as my neighbor. Um, but at some point, you have to let God speak. And that's what Philip was doing here. Also, we have to think about the fact that when it says, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Do you know what Philip didn't have at that point? Guys, yeah. he he didn't have the New Testament. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. He was telling him about Jesus from the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures. The scriptures were still being written at that time. There were, there were things that were being in circu- letters that were being circulated that would eventually become the New Testament scriptures. But he was no doubt leading him to other passages in the Old Testament. So people who are like, Hey, you know, uh, the gospel was hidden in the Old Testament and they were there, they didn't, or, or they're saved some different way. No. I mean, Philip here is 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 presenting the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I believe using Old Testament scriptures.
1: Yeah, he, there would have been nothing, like you said. There would have been nothing else. You know, they think that the earliest penned New Testament letters didn't come for quite a while later, and they think it's either Galatians or First and Second Thessalonians um, that that wouldn't have come for probably another decade after this story takes place. Right. Um, so, I mean, there would have been hymns. There would have been different things like that that were in circulation, but nothing written down. Um, and so, yeah, he is he is going through the Psalms. He's going through Isaiah. He's going through the law of Moses. He's pointing to the, the Passover lamb and all of these other things that point to Jesus. Um, but like you said, the Gospels had not been penned yet. So there's a
0: challenge to uh, our friends in the modern day church. If somebody were to come to you and say, "Tell me about this Jesus," don't use that New Testament. Could <laughs> yeah. you do it? Could you do it? Could you sit down and and now if you had, you know, if they had your book, Sam, I'm sure they could. Uh, but you know, it's like, but well, that you know, that's funny. It, that's something that before, um, you know, Doctor Gage and you and and Tom started making this sort of a center point of a lot of your teaching and preaching. This idea that Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament was never something that really occurred to me. I thought Jesus was kind of a mystery to them back then. They knew Messiah was coming, but this whole thing of the church – and, just, but as we've had more of an emphasis on that, mm-hmm. I will admit I have been amazed at the clarity with which God was revealing his plan through the Old Testament.
1: Yeah. And it what it does for me, you know, that this idea – and I mean – it's kind of hard to talk about without laying out the case that every single major story of the Old Testament is just like shining a light toward the Savior. You know, it's it's anticipating His coming.
0: We don't have that long of a podcast.
1: Yeah, that's so. true. People are going, no, 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 don't, don't get them started.
0: Don't get them started.
1: <laughs> but but the reality is is that shows me that from the very beginning, from creation, you know, we did we did a series on the first eleven chapters of Genesis. We did. And it's in there. But one of the things that shows me is that from the, the first moment of creation, when God starts laying out these patterns of the gospel, that this has been his purpose because the, the DNA, the pattern of the gospel, Jesus is just blaring through all of those stories. And so it shows you that God's heart has been the salvation of his people through his son from the very beginning. Um, it shows you the heart of God, none of this is an accident, none of it 's out of control and it gives you this impression that God is not just you know modern modern church. we tend to want to read the Bible like it 's some kind of lawnmower manual, and everything <laughs> has to be step one, step two, step three, step four, yes, but this shows you that God is this really amazingly beautiful poet, you know, and he 's he 's he 's putting design in all these stories and and he's doing the same thing with our lives. We we might not realize it, but God is an artist in the way he puts together history. None of this stuff is by accident. And when we read the Bible like a lawnmower manual, we butcher it. It's it, it's not intended to be limited to that. It is God's art and the way he unfolds history, and Jesus is shining through all of it.
0: It is sometimes um, I'm sometimes guilty of this, especially because I don't have you know. For example, when I'm putting together personal worship each week, I don't want to say, "Okay, there's a verse in Romans about this topic. Go read Romans." That's not (laughs) that's not a good like you know. So when I do, especially with the related verses and things, I will sometimes point people to a very you know a verse or two or three or four or five a small number of verses that. I believe aren't being lifted necessarily out of context. Hopefully, if you were to go there and read that part of Scripture, you would see that I that I was using them in the correct context. Um, I hope. <laughs> yeah. But but the the thing I'm saying is that if you're going to sit down to read the Scriptures, I I and I believe this passionately. If you're going to sit down to read the Scriptures, it's just like if you take your CD out for your favorite compact disc little shiny things used to have music on them before streaming music was a thing so uh if you take the cd out of your favorite band's new album when you put it in the player you don't look around at the titles going i think i'll listen to that one first and then the, no you just start it playing and you listen to track one and you go through to track whatever so with scriptures if you're going to sit down and read the scriptures like oh you're going to read the gospel of john where should you begin john 1 1 Mm -hmm. I'm going to read Romans. Where do you begin? Romans one one. I want to read Isaiah. Chapter 1 would be a good place to start. Read through the books. Read through the scriptures because there's a real value in seeing them put together the way that they were put together. They were written Mm -hmm. as history books, as letters, as poems, as all these different things. Mm -hmm. They weren't written as first
1: century Wikipedia. That's just not it, you know? (laughs) So, And when you're reading them for the first time have some supports. Buy some books that, that help sure. you understand them. You know, My first time ever reading through the Gospels, I watched a videos of them You know, where it was a word-for-word word video of them because otherwise I probably wouldn't have made it you know, to, be <laughs> honest, to be honest. But use things that help you understand it and then later when you go through it and you have some context and some support and background, it starts making more and more sense every single time you come to it again. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like you, you're finding more pieces of the puzzle and eventually it just becomes exhilarating.
0: You know, I'm going to say uh, – and this is this – we weren't necessarily planning to have a segue into how do we read our Bibles. But <laughs> one of the things that I find really useful um, because I'm somebody – and folks, you probably know this if you've been – if you've lived through the – the. Uh, The MTV generation, the way that I was, just our our brains aren't wired the same way that our parents' generation were. You know, my parents could concentrate on a thing, and they could stay on that (laughs) thing until they were done with that thing. It's one of the reasons why they built the Industrial Revolution and won the Great War and all that sort of stuff. But I have very much one of those brains where it's very like potato, 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 squirrel, look over I'm very distractible. It's really, really easy for me to get pulled off course. So one of the things I do when I'm going to sit down to read the scriptures, not necessarily break them down and study verse by verse, and let's look at the original. But I'm just talking about reading it to get the to get the big picture, the overarching thing. Is I take advantage of apps on my phone, like the U Version Bible app or the Blue Letter Bible app. These these great apps on my phone that not only have the scripture text, but they have the audio to go along with it. Uh, the U Version Bible app even will scroll the text for you and highlight the passage being read as it reads it for you. Mm -hmm. I find that tremendously useful to keep my mind from wandering. If someone else is reading and I'm just following along, it really helps me not wander in my Mm -hmm. attention. So there's a, there's a a Mark Bible tip is take advantage of audio Bibles, play them while you're reading, combine those Mm -hmm. two
1: things. Or you read out loud. That's helpful, too.
0: Yeah, that is that is very true. Also, the only problem is that if you run into something with a lot of those Hebrew names, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I struggle enough, and I practice them before we do the podcast. <laughs> I I'll, just wing it. I'll still get on here and be like, his name was... the <laughs> <laughs> You got to throw out the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So get out the Hebrew. I was much happ- I'm much happier in the New Testament. Paul, <laughs> Peter... John Philip, I can do James. I can do all those names, so uh, the old testament names they they really they really get me, so um, but you know but reading the scripture as a uh, you know to get the big picture, I think mm-hmm. is really, really useful when I am studying you know like studying a passage i don 't necessarily read the entire book before I study a passage, but mm-hmm. I also have times of just reading like i 'm not sitting down to study i 'm sitting down to read, I just want to read the Bible for a while. Uh, I think you need both. I think you need to devote yourself both to reading and studying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah.
1: Well, studying makes the reading more meaningful. You know, I, it does. I, I always say – before I would – used to jump into Galatians. I would be like, okay, what, what is a Galatia? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. What's going on there? What's the history of it? What's – like help me understand why this matters. And that yeah. always makes it more meaningful as you read it. Yeah. So getting back to Philip and our eunuch, I don't
0: mean to derail it. I just, I, anytime we start talking yep. about reading the scriptures, man, I, I am such a fan of reading the Bible. You know, we've talked about the fact uh, on the podcast before that, you know, I flunked out of a couple of years of Bible college and never went to seminary and that kind of stuff. And, and yet people are like, wow, you know so much about the Bible. I'm like, I read the book a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I read it. I read it and I study it. I was like, you can know things about the Bible without going to seminary, without going to Bible college. You can know things about the Bible. There's nothing keeping you from it. It's there to be read. It's there to be studied. There's lots of great helps. And you can study the scripture. You can be a student of the Bible.
1: Yeah. I am. You know. I used to hear people say, you know, praying is you speaking to God and Bible study is God speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's some nuance to that, but I like that no. idea.
0: It's, it's very true because how else is God going to speak to you? I mean, again, I'm one of these guys that would I have that nudging, I'm like, was that the Holy Spirit or did I just have a burrito? I don't know. Something's working inside of me here. I'm not sure what it is. So I question things like that. But when I'm reading the Bible –
1: That's the word of God, and when you come across like in in this story, the things that God is showing about Himself to this eunuch are things that He intends to show Him about Himself to you, right? So you know the fact that this that this eunuch is going, who in the world is this character who I can relate to so much? Well, pause a moment. That's true for you too. Mm -hmm. You know, have you despised? Have you been betrayed? Have you been abused? Have you been you know, you experience poverty, rejection, whatever it might be, like the Lord can relate to you in that. So you don't just read this as some third party looking at a story long ago. These truths belong to you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and God is showing himself to you in, in the scriptures. That's why I love reading it. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not an intellectual exercise. It, it shows me the character of God and that is exhilarating. Yeah.
0: So in verse 36, as you know, Philip has now been explaining him to the eunuch the good news about Jesus going through the scriptures, verse 36 says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, if you're reading from as I am today from the English Standard Version, you will notice that you just went from verse 36 to verse 38. Verse 37 is not there. Um, I mentioned this in personal worship. If you get our study notes, you've already read this, but this is an example of one of those manuscript differences in the various versions of the Bible. Ver, you know, other versions of the Bible, the King James, the New King James, for example, include verse 37. Um, in which Philip sort of answers the question of the eunuch, um, where he says, See, here is water. What prevents from being baptized? Verse 37 records Philip as saying, If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with your whole heart, sure, you can be baptized. Um, Was that verse actually in the original text, or did it get added later by a scribe? I don't know. I'm a majority text guy, so I would tend to say the verse was probably there and just got dropped. It doesn't yep. change the meaning of the passage either way.
1: Not even a little bit. You it's know, assumed in
0: the story. And that's the thing is that, is that because it's assumed in the story, that's why it's possible. I'm not going to say it's out of the question. It's certainly possible that some scribe, as they were copying it, was thinking to themselves, of course this is what Philip said <laughs> and then wrote it <laughs> down. Um, but when you – you know, one of the criticisms that people who are outside of the church, will they will level this criticism at the Bible and say, yeah, right, you can't even agree on what what version is best or what Bible documents. You, it's all just these crazy fragments of manuscripts. These kinds of things where there are manuscript differences and there are verses that are missing, I'm kind of a nerd about that, and I do a whole lot of digging into those things. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, my hand to god i've looked at at not every single one but an awful lot of these and i've never seen one not even one that alters the meaning of the passage in any dramatic way so it's just nothing that is that is really going to take it and like like philip said no you can't be baptized no no philip said sure if you believe in jesus you can be baptized
1: (laughs) you know there's a one of the guys who's big on making that argument is a guy named Bart Ehrman. He writes all these books. One of them is misquoting Jesus. And so he he goes to town saying, well, you know, these the, the Bible has verses that are questionable. And so at the end of the book, he's written this whole book. At the end of it is this section where the editor then asks him follow-up questions. And one of the questions – that, and I'm paraphrasing – but one of the questions that the editor asked him, okay, in light of all the stuff that you've just written about – does this change? Like, what about the essential elements of the Christian faith are changed? And he says nothing. <laughs> right. you know? like he admits right. nothing that's essential in the Christian. And he's the leading person making arguments on the other side. And he would tell you nothing has changed about the Christian faith.
0: Right? Does it matter if we have Peter's or Peter? If does it matter if we have Philip's response recorded here or not? No, we can we can assume that that Philip said, "Sure, you can be baptized." Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of cool, though, because this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, which is sharing the gospel, sharing the faith, expanding the kingdom. Is not something that we're counting numbers. It's a drive-by sort of thing where we just we're going to give them the gospel. Do you believe? You believe? Great! Ding ding, <laughs> ding! Ring up another one, and we're moving on. But Philip is taking him right here into this sort of next step. You know, there there should always be if you're somebody that that. Is sharing the gospel with a friend or a family member, or just somebody you met at Publix, whatever, you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and there is that response. I believe mm-hmm. you should really be ready with what's the next step. You know, what do you invite them to next? What do you What do you ask them to do? It, it, it may be simply just, hey, you know, would it be okay if we if I followed up with you in a couple of days after you'd read a little bit more, can I send you a Bible? Can I, would you consider, you know, hey, would you consider coming to our church on Sunday morning? I'd, I'd be happy to meet you there. And just, you need to have something in mind as that first action step. And in this case, yes, it was water baptism. And that's a great action step for a profession of faith. It's symbolizing the death, burial, resurrection. There's a you know, it's a very powerful thing. We're having a baptism Saturday coming up on November 13th yeah, uh, excited. at the beach. Um, so it's a very powerful thing. It's something we believe in. Um, and I think it's it's great that, that Philip was like, yes, absolutely, let's do that here. Uh, but you should be prepared. Whatever it is, you should be prepared with a next step. And and again,
1: what, what the just the way that the eunuch frames the question, what hinders me from being baptized? He is used to things hindering him. You know, what That's prevents me from being a part of the faith? What prevents me from becoming a part of the body of Christ? What keeps me from being baptized? Um, you just hear the hurt that he has. I mean – and and I want you to imagine in first century here you have Philip who is this zealous evangelist and he is jumping up and next to the chariot with a guy who's very effeminate. I mean – <laughs> where most people probably would have looked at him and gone, oh my goodness, like he's getting next to him, this Gentile, dark-skinned, effeminate man right. who's desperate for someone to love him. And you see the same character with Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria, You know, which essentially both of them are having the same question. I'm not allowed at the temple. Um, and you see Jesus blowing through and saying, absolutely you are. And here you see Philip saying – absolutely you are mm-hmm. um, it's it's really wonderful and it shows the kindness that the Lord is exalting in his scriptures to reach out to those that the world says no thanks to yeah and you hear the pain in both of them it's it's something that we need to be soft toward yeah
0: you know we've we've had the we've mentioned it several times in different podcasts but the the whole you know what would Jesus do? Movement from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Jesus would do is he wouldn't reject anybody. If there, if somebody's coming to him, he's not going to reject them. Yeah. Um, so there's a th-
1: famous there's a famous line that I that I like. There's probably problems with it, but uh, I forget who says it. I think it might have been Moody who said the Lord sends no one away empty except those who come full of themselves.
0: Hmm. That sounds like a DL Moody thing. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and accurate. Quite frankly, it's also yeah, it's very accurate. This gets back to the thing from we talked about last week. Even the the thing we contribute most to our salvation, or the only thing we contribute to our salvation, is the is the sin that made it necessary in yeah. the first place. Yeah. You know, um, so if <laughs> we you got that covered. If you don't have that as a clear understanding when you're coming, then that's where you start. Um, yeah. So now we have the we have the conclusion of the story, and this is where the, you and I were saying, is this a, is this miraculous or is it not? Uh, folks, judge for yourself. Acts 8, 39 and 40, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Um do you think that the Lord, like, teleported Philip away?
1: Everything in me wants to try to come up with a natural explanation. If he wanted to, sure. <laughs> but uh, there's part of me that just thinks the Lord kind of said, okay, Philip, I'm taking you this way. And the eunuch saw him no more. Well, I, uh, I, Like they didn't have a relationship after that. The eunuch went back to Ethiopia and Philip went know. to the it, north. It but just, maybe. It just seems the to The traditional be. reading is what you're saying, that he kind of carried him away in the spirit. Right
0: well okay and the fact that that it's just the way that it's worded now of course mm-hmm. now, now here we go again translator bias if the, <laughs> if the guy who's translating these verses from the original greek into english has the same interpretation of it that i do he's going to shade it that way mm-hmm. as he's translating it but the, the the you know the spirit of the lord carried Philip away, didn't tell him to go somewhere else, carried him away. The eunuch saw him no more. Not, you know, the eunuch didn't hear from him again. Um, Philip found himself at Azotus. It's like, (laughs) oh, here I am in this other town. Yeah, true. Um, That kind of thing really suggests that there was a miraculous thing. But
1: yeah, and the the Greek word there, that is where it says, you know, he took Philip away or caught Philip away. It's a forceful word, and the most common way that it's translated is snatched. So it's, it is the idea that the Lord kind of snatched Philip away. So I'm
0: going to stay with Philip went blink out of – it just was gone. <laughs> could be. Um, I think well it could was, be. I think it was one of those things. But um, it, what I love, though, is at the end of the story, what ends up happening here after this whole exchange and the, the – good news about Jesus is shared and he's baptized. It says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. This Mm -hmm. was a guy Sam who like you said he had found rejection at every turn. He had come with honest questions seeking the true God and he was turned away and it didn't stop him from seeking and then he found that true God. He found Jesus and it left him rejoicing. I love the end of that.
1: Yeah. And and the part of this that I love even more is, you know, when Philip is done and he leaves – and again, now this eunuch is left with, well, I have more questions. What does this mean for me? Back then they read the scriptures on a scroll and so it's not like you turn the page or open the book to random spots. You continued reading by turning the scroll in your hand. And we covered this one. When you get to Isaiah chapter 54, what are the very first words? So he finishes chapter 53, the very first words of Isaiah 54. And you can imagine God ordaining this from the time he inspired it to Isaiah. He's going to read, Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. And it's this this tremendous (laughs) rejoicing. And then even more amazing than that, As he continued to scroll and he gets two chapters ahead in Isaiah 56, go to verse 3, and man, the kindness of God. Just listen to what this eunuch who had been rejected from the temple in Jerusalem is going to read. Get this, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor – get this – nor let the eunuch say – Behold, I am a dry tree. Well, why would they call eunuchs a dry tree in the ancient world? Because they produced no fruit. And God is saying, do not let the foreigner say they're separated from me. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm only a dry tree. And then it just gets better. For thus says the Lord. Now imagine the eunuch just receiving this in his heart. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them – I will give in my house, in my temple, and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And you can imagine, you know, he couldn't get to the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women or the court of the Israelites or the court of the priests. He certainly couldn't get inside the temple, and now he's walking away rejected. Philip comes to him, preaches the gospel. He continues reading, and he's finding God saying, if you're a foreigner who holds on to me, you are not cut off from my people. You are not a dry tree. In fact, I'm going to put your name inside the very temple that you were just rejected from. Your name is going to be on the walls as a memorial and you're going to have a heritage and a legacy that is better than that of sons and daughters, an everlasting name. And I'm just imagining – when it says he went on his way rejoicing, man, I bet (laughs) when he's reading this and just hearing the kindness of God and the fact that God ordained this passage to be immediately after the passage that he was reading with Philip. Just the kindness that God is personally discipling him as he's on his way back to Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things, go back all the way to the beginning. You gotta Philip had to have wondered, God, I'm in the middle of this red hot revival. I'm in I'm in Samaria. People are coming to faith all around me, and you want me to go down to this desert road to get this one guy who was rejected at the temple. And the heritage or the leg, sorry, the legacy of this guy. The, the entire Coptic church that's in Africa credits its beginning, credits its founding to this eunuch. And there are millions upon millions of Coptic Christians in our world today that claim that this man is the father of their faith. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about a legacy. And when Philip was thinking, you know, <laughs> should I leave this red-hot revival, there will be millions of people in heaven because Philip climbed into this chariot. Now let that sink in. To have the faithfulness to share the gospel with one person, you need to have the eyes of faith and the imagination to think that God could use that one act of faithfulness to bring millions into the kingdom because that's what happened in this story. And he can do it again. And we have the privilege – to participate in something that wonderful, mm. not to mention what it did for this brokenhearted eunuch who, who I'm sure went on his way rejoicing after hearing all that, yeah. but for generations to come.
0: I also uh, really appreciated how it describes Philip when it says that Philip found himself in this other place. It says, as he passed through that other place that he found himself – he preached the gospel to all the towns <laughs> until he came to Caesarea.
1: Yeah. Um and you know, Ashdod Azadus is the it, it's just a change name it's Ashdod which was a Philistine city so it was a it was a city that was in the Philistine territory that was not faithful to the Lord it wouldn't have been considered a faithful part of Israel. And so these are more Gentiles people rejected and he's going he's going to the visitors team. You know, he's going to the visitor stadium. And and he's preaching the gospel. He's just a faithful guy, man. This yeah. Philip is amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah that's, um, I think that that is the most important attribute in a great evangelist is that they're faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm nervous or I don't know the answer to every question or, you know what, those things, yeah, I agree. Those things can be something to overcome. The most important attribute. And an evangelist is to be faithful mm-hmm. It's to be faithful in sharing God's word yeah. um, if you're that the rest of it will come with time
1: yeah and there's the promise you know that you find God giving to his people you don't worry about what you're going to say for God will give you the words <laughs> when when he needs to yeah yeah that's a comfort one other thing um, that's interesting about this this story begins with with Luke who writes the book of Acts. He says that this happened, God sent him down on the road to Gaza. Then you get to chapter 9 and you're going to find you know, um, Saul, the apostle Paul, is going to be saved on the road to Damascus. And then you get to chapter 10 and Cornelius, the Roman centurion, is is going to be saved after Peter goes on the road to Joppa. And then in that, you have the salvation of all nations. It's what God is communicating. In Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. and Acts chapter 9, you have... Saul the Jew, and in Acts chapter ten you have Cornelius the Roman, and they represent the three sons of Noah. That if when you finish Acts chapter or sorry, Genesis chapter nine, the next chapter is the table of nations and how all nations come to be, and all nations stem from Noah's three sons, which are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so Saul, who is saved in chapter nine, is a son of Shem, the Ethiopian eunuch, who is a Cushite, would have been one of the sons of Ham, and obviously Cornelius, who's of the Italian regiment, would have been a son of Japheth. And what God is communicating by putting these chapters in consecutive order is he's saying, I've saved the line of Ham, I've saved the line of Shem, and I've saved the line of Japheth, which constitutes all of humanity. And God is saying the gospel is for every nation under heaven. It's no longer – for Israel specifically, that I work through these people, it's exploding back to recapture all the sons of Noah, all mm. of humanity. It's, it's brilliant the way Luke puts this together. Mm. Um, but it shows you that his mercy is for all people.
0: Well, that is a definitely a good word, and uh, I think it's the one that we'll end on here. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, folks, that you've appreciated this study in Acts chapter 8. We do invite you to uh, watch the messages, the Awaken series that's being preached at Rio Vista Community Church right now uh, this coming Sunday. If you'd like to join us, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, please come down. You can find directions to our church at our website at riovistachurch.com. That's R I O. Vistachurch.com, uh, or you can watch the messages on through our website or on our smartphone app uh, after the service. If you'd like to correspond with us, our email address is water at riovistachurch.com, where you can also find at that website all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify, or in our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app available for iOS or Android. Sam, and I'll be back next week with another in the series, Awaken, and we look forward to seeing you then.